hosts and hopefully your new bookish pals. I'm Hannah McDonald and I'm Lydia Clare. Our November book club pick of the month is the brilliant debut novel Isaac and the Egg by Bobby Palmer. We meet Isaac at the worst point in his life. Little does he know that in moments he will discover something that will change everything in the form of an abandoned and mysterious Bobby Palmer is an English author and freelance journalist. His writing has appeared in a range of publications, including Time Out, GQ, Esquire, Men's Health and Cosmopolitan. His debut novel, Isaac and the Egg, was published in August by Headline Review, and it's a truly unforgettable read, and one that we had to feature as a book club pick because we loved it. And we're so happy that Bobby has joined us today so Bobby welcome to Power of Bookends. Hello thanks for thanks for having me. So what we like to ask uh, first of all all our bookends listening will know this is our most kind of pressing question which is what are you currently reading? I've just finished a book uh, that you might have heard of uh, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by oh, uh, here, we here it uh, comes. Yeah well it was one of those ones that I, I felt like I, I, I was starting to feel like a sort of imposter uh book fan if i hadn't <laughs> read it <laughs> because because everyone was telling me how good it was so um i read it and it was really good <laughs> as expected yeah um, yeah so uh yeah i i would I'm, I'm i can now be part of that club of people telling everyone else to read it it's um it's I'm very jealous yeah it's so very, much about it it's a very unique book i i haven't really read anything like it. it's all about um years like decades long sort of romance between two video game developers but it's yeah. it's not you know you i wouldn't want that to put anyone off reading it if they if they're not into video games because it, it's sort of about a lot more than that it's really yeah. good yeah. yeah i've heard loads of people say that like because i quite like gaming you not a big fan um but i think that i've heard on the grapevine the bookish grapevine (laughs) that um actually you don't have to know anything about gaming or be particularly interested in that world to really engage with the novel like i think it's meant to be like amazing it's just Um, one of those books where i think it could be about anything but the the it's written so well and the characters are so real that it it doesn't really matter what it's about it's it's just it's done really really well um and it had me uh i was reading it in a dentist waiting office and uh burst into tears oh, <laughs> oh no oh no i'm yeah. slightly awkward i think someone might have thought i had like a a really you know in, invasive dental procedure coming up but no i was actually just, just enjoying my book getting all the nervous children in the waiting room like oh my goodness yes, how bad yeah. is it <laughs> yeah i was um listening to uh the literary friction podcast and they were speaking about what well, they had the author on and it sounded so good and lydia's just got a copy of it for a Day, I which I will absolutely be stealing. <laughs> it's a beautiful, it's a really beautiful looking um book. It's all, it's, it's shiny. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yes. it is. It's shiny. I it's hate so to, pretty. I hate to admit that that's the sort of thing that like made me want to own it. But you know, <laughs> it's sort of magpie. Being like, no, I am absolutely like that. That is literally me. If I see a book cover that I like, I'm like yeah. drawn to it like a magnet. Like half to have yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You do. You're a very cover oriented reader, aren't you? Sometimes. Like when we're shopping. Yeah. Yeah, it's a problem. It is, it? 
Um, so let's get into your book. The start of the novel is uh, something that I felt immediately hooked you in. Why was it important to you for the reader to meet Isaac at the worst moment in his life? I think I I wanted this to be, it's quite a bleak story at times, but I wanted it to be an ultimately hopeful one. So I think the reason that you'd meet Isaac at his lowest point would be, you know, sort of the only way is up. But um, <laughs> but also I th- there are elements of mystery in it and I, I want, wanted you to I, I didn't want there to be any um backstory any baggage before you got into the 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 central uh mystery of of the book which is you you know you have this character he finds himself in the woods and he finds a giant egg because you know it, it's such a it's such a weird premise I think that you need it to happen pretty soon so you can start explaining what's going on otherwise people if it's leading up to it and they know it's coming might might be you know about about to put the book down <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I was reading it, I, I was really in awe of you because I was like, okay, you've started at the worst moment in his life, but you've still managed to, you would have thought that that was all the kind of dramatic tension that you could get through. And yeah. yet there was, <laughs> there was still more. <laughs> Every time, you know, I'd get to a, a new chapter, it was just, yeah, there was still so many moments of dramatic tension. And I was like, okay, you've got this character in like the worst part of his life. And then there's still, it's still so much of a roller coaster of a book. And I, I don't know how how you did that, but I mean, you know, that's clearly a sign of a great writer. So it, I was, I think I was like three quarters of the way through writing the first draft when I realised that that was going to happen. You know, bef- before then, it, it it was a much simpler story. So I had it was a bit of a blessing and a curse because I, I had the benefit of hindsight, having written the thing, that I could go back and add in all that dramatic tension that you're talking about. You know, sort of breadcrumb a realisation so that it felt like you were always aware that there was something else going on. But you know, it yeah. was. Also so really difficult because I'd already written the book and you can't um when when you're when you're writing something you don't know if you're giving too much away or if you're not giving an, enough away at any given point so you have to just keep writing it and keep showing it to people and then once the the twist is sort of spoilt for them you have to find someone else to show it yeah. to <laughs> yeah. um it's a good way to make friends I guess yeah <laughs> I love the mystery of it I really yeah. like just what is this egg what is it like just it's the most simple of questions that we want answering at the beginning of the novel isn't it it's, it's what is this egg what is it yeah. where's it come from why is it here what, what why is Isaac found it and the journey that that take that one simple question you sit with the novel the entire time like I need to so know then. it's just it's such a wonderful mystery it really is yeah. I really like the idea that you were yeah I don't think this is too much of a spoiler for someone who hasn't read it but that you would you'd know the egg exists from the title he would find the egg in the first chapter and that first question you'd have would be like what's going to hatch what's going to come out of it <laughs> yeah. uh, and then you, you realise by the end of the first chapter that the egg itself is is a bee you know there's nothing inside it it's actually like a, a thing a, a living creature itself and I like the idea that you'd you'd have that really early on because then you're, you're sort of like I can't trust anything that's coming <laughs> yeah. you know it's, it's like if, if that doesn't if I can't take that at face value I can't take anything else at face value yeah yeah it definitely keeps you guessing and I love there's a little moment at the and this is at the very start of the book so again no spoilers but where um he, he has the egg in the car and he straps the egg in and he's so worried that there's gonna be like yolk everywhere and he's like will it have a yolk like what there'll be yolk in my car like <laughs> and he's, he's driving like don't spill the egg don't don't spill the egg I just thought it was just hysterical absolutely hysterical um but moving on I think we were talking about um tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow being unique 
unique. Um, when you read Isaac and the Egg, it feels very unique, both in its story and its um, formatting. Like, even if you have a quick flick through of the book, there are pages and pages of, like, a scream that lasts three pages and you know egg-shaped text and stuff that make it really fun and, and inventive what was the process of creating that kind of formatting i i always knew it was going to look different because i i ne- i think it, it it sort of comes from i i never knew i really wanted to be like a novelist it, it, it's something that has happened almost accidentally i you know i was a journalist before but before that i always really wanted to be i wanted to draw comic books i used to uh, be an illustrator so I think I I almost approached I almost approached writing a book with more of a visual eye than yeah. than with a, a sort of textual eye. So I, I knew it would look I wanted it to look look fun because the the books I like reading are the ones that look look fun. So like I'd yeah. mm-hmm. I'd read um extremely loud and incredibly close uh before I started writing it and that's got like um loads of you know it's got like ticket stubs and and photos that that the the main kid has taken and it just really added to the to the reading experience and you know I read like uh George Saunders, Max Porter, they're all people who, who play around with text. Patrick Ness as well. I, I just really like that sort of that sort of book. So I, I wanted to to do that. And, you know, I don't know if, if Isaac as a character was an illustrator before I knew I wanted to do that, or if Isaac was an illustrator originally, and that's why I wanted to do it. But I think the, mm-hmm. the two things came hand in hand, because you, even though it's not in the first person, you hear it all, basically, it's all follows Isaac's point of view. So I wanted it to be that you would see the world of the book in, in the visual way that he sees the world yeah so I mean when I was when I was writing it I had probably even more uh weird elements in there than um <laughs> than that ended up in the finished thing but they were all in in my my kind of badly formatted google doc that I was writing it in <laughs> and I, I you know I liked the idea that I, Isaac and Mary his his wife made children's books together so that it would look a bit like a children's book even the title Isaac and the Egg sounds a bit like a children's book yeah. um but then I was very lucky when I when I got a book deal that I I ended up working really closely with the art director of Headline, um, who's called Patrick, and he came from a background of working in children's books. So he worked on a lot of Patrick Nessa's books, uh, the the Chaos Walking books, which actually sort of inspired some of the text in this. So it was a really nice full circle moment where he ended up yeah. designing the text in this book, and it, you know it was his idea to really go for it with the scream that you mentioned, and you know that that went <laughs> over like half a page in my uh, manuscript, and he was like, "Let's make it go over four pages." And I was like, oh. I love that. Yeah, I think the funniest though is like the the word search w- w- was one thing I was particularly proud of getting into a uh, into a novel, and that came because I wrote this whole thing during during lockdown, and I rewatched New Girl, um, and there's oh. there's a whole plot line where Nick, uh, one of the main characters, writes a novel that is just sort of totally out there that no one will publish, and he talks about having a word search in it, and I was like, <laughs> I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna get a word search, and I did. Now you can you know buy a book. In a, in a bookshop that's got the sort of Nick Miller word search. I love so, that. I, I, love I that. thoroughly enjoyed doing the word search as well. I yeah. actually did it. I was like, I'm going to find all the words. I'm glad. I'm glad. I, 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 I took hope the time. People, I hope that people heard. I'm so pleased that you've got a new girl reference in there. I love that. I, know, I, didn't, even, I didn't even clock that, but that's amazing. I'm, I, that, might be, that might be an exclusive. I, I'm not sure I've actually told that story before. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to the egg I personally think that the egg is one of the best parts of the novel I was obsessed with the egg I would go as far to say that I think the egg is one of my favourite characters ever 
<laughs> and he, he he took me on a roller coaster. I say he. Um, the the egg took me on a yeah. I think you could you could say he was a he. We I think know. he's what he is. Yeah, we don't know. But the egg the egg took me on a roller coaster, and at first I was really creeped out by the egg, and then I was really like I thought the egg was like really lovable and cute, and then mm. I was going back to being creeped out by it, especially when it brought it, when it brings the the beans on toast and the toaster into bed. I was like. Stop. <laughs> no, that would stress me out if that got brought into my bedroom. <laughs> you, can t- you can tell that you don't have children because that is something That's that true. my children would do. <laughs> that would be something that would make me cry. Beans on toast and toaster. Where did the inspiration come from with egg? Um, egg is, is <laughs> you know, I, I don't know why it's an egg. <laughs> Firstly, you know, it just always was an egg. It, it, I think the title, the title I sort of had before anything else, and I was like, it's going to be called Isaac and the Egg, and it's going to be about a guy called Isaac finding a giant egg. Um, <laughs> but you know, another, another, going back to the idea of of it being like the way that Isaac sees the world is that he's a guy who likes watching movies. He's a bit of a man child, and he has all these sort of eighties pop cultural references stored up. So I like the, you know, there's this big question of is the egg real or is it a figment of his imagination and you never you know you never quite know I either interpretation is 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 just as valid as the other I think um but I liked the idea that if it was a figment of his imagination he'd have he'd have made it up based on all these references that he has in his own head so you know it's yeah. it, it see it's got the backstory of E.T. Uh, <laughs> but it's sort of got the look of like Gizmo or an Ewok uh, it's got like Mr. Tickle arms so it's like all these different uh, references that I had um coming together but but to be honest my my first point of reference for it was um baby yoda and ba- baby yoda, <laughs> baby yoda. <laughs> weirdly baby yoda inspired this entire book because it was while i were while the baby yoda craze was happening and while i was watching uh an episode of the mandalorian which is the show that baby yoda came from where i i had this thought where i was like i want to write a really serious book that tackles some really serious themes but i also want baby yoda to be in it <laughs> um, i thought it would be like a really interesting challenge as an author to try and you know to try and discuss stuff that I, I felt was was worthwhile discussing yeah. but to just have that totally surreal out of place element without making it seem like you were making light of something and it, it ended up being a really good um a really fun fun might not be the right word a, a really interesting thing to write <laughs> and a, something that needed a lot of editing so that it didn't it didn't feel totally wrong I love that and I think I need to go back and reread it now with that knowledge um because maybe <laughs> I won't be creeped out from the start I'll just be like, oh, it's so cute. I felt like it was a bit like, do you remember that? It's, it's a reference in the book about a Furby when you were a kid. Yes. Yeah. It, it looked exactly like that, but with like weird long arms. And I yeah. loved my Furby when I was little. <laughs> I'm glad you said he he creeped you out though because I think it, it's sort of intentional that you especially when you first meet him mm. it's like a horrible little creature who's eating mm. rotten off the kitchen floor and I think the idea would was sort of that Isaac is in that state you know he's he's gone through this enormous grief and he is he's reverted back to an animalistic you know not taking care of himself form so as the book progresses and as he starts to come back to reality and 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 get back in touch with the human world the egg becomes a bit more human and, and you know it starts to sort of speak a little bit and becomes more like a like a, a, a human kid than a strange creature of the woods I love that I, we're both like I love that um, <laughs> <laughs> but yes definitely Serbia yeah um you mentioned before about the film references and the kind of 80s cultural references 
that I thoroughly enjoyed the whole way through. How difficult was it for you to like pick which ones to include? Because I feel like you had a plethora of like amazing films that you could have included. And the ones that you did were perfect. But how, how was that process of choosing what to include and what not to include? There were a lot more. <laughs> and my, editor, my editor cut a lot of them out. No, um, I, I think a lot of them, I, tr- I basically, you know, I didn't intentionally put in the film references. It was it was just the way I was writing it. I it, it was like an easy way of describing stuff because I, I it's it's how I approach things. You know, I love films and it, it, it was just this very obvious thing for me that if I walked into the woods and I found a giant egg, I'd be like, oh, oh this is like Jurassic Park. This is like Alien. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, I'm, I'm not saying I was being lazy, but... Uh, <laughs> I, I think the ones that stayed in were the ones that were just that just felt very natural. The, the book yeah. itself, the, 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 I think the two most prominent ones are probably "It's a Wonderful Life" and "ET." And the book, the structure of the book, definitely in the first half borrows from both of those quite intentionally. Mm-hmm. And and so that as you read it, you expect something, and then you know something else actually happens. Uh, but you know, Mary Poppins is in there. Dirty Dancing is in there. I think <laughs> a lot of I'd say like half of the film references were ones that made sense for the story, and half. For the ones were just funny <laughs> because I, <laughs> I really like the idea of like Isaac and the egg uh, trying out the dirty dancing lift in the kitchen while they're at home. <laughs> or, you know, like the egg, the egg sort of um, doing home alone or doing risky business while Isaac I goes out. I think, yeah. I love the fact that Isaac was actually a bit worried that the egg would request to do the lift. And he was like, mm, uh, <laughs> <maybe> no. <laughs> Are you the kind of person then that whenever you're having a conversation, you know, slot a load of film references in? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like I'm one of those really really awful like um, I feel like it's specifically men who who will just like quote films even if like <laughs> don't know the quote and then it's like oh shut up just like get a, get a hobby <laughs> I, I can't tell you how much I infuriate my boyfriend because he is a, a massive film I don't know what, what word you'd use awful. you can say nerd <laughs> nerd okay film nerd <laughs> Um, but he I mean he's a Marvel nerd but he um, and somehow managed to get me to watch all the Marvel films when I said I never would Um, but he watches so many films and it infuriates him that I've barely seen anything and I'm the actor in the relationship and he's like how are you an actor and you haven't watched any of these films that I'm talking about? And I'm like, I'm sorry. It stresses me out. It stresses me out. I'm the same. I'm, I'm the person like during during Marvel films who's sort of turning around and going like, that's the abomination. <laughs> he, was, he was in The Incredible Hulk 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Me and my partner, we introduced Hannah to the Beatles and made yeah, Jefferson's Beatles. Did, and yeah. She couldn't um, name them, which was concerning. I named two of them. Two, well, she named half of the Beatles, which frankly almost broke this relationship up. <laughs> it was nearly the end of a pair of bookends. So, um, it's me, one bookend. Uh, so there's one section in the book that I had a really serious question about. Um, it's on page 87, um, and Isaac is speaking about... Um, you know, he's reflecting on his his grief and uh, uh, reflecting on him and him and Mary's relationship. And the quote is, um, a pyjama top pulled by the side of her bed, never to be worn or washed or ironed again. Now, Bobby, who's ironing the pyjama tops? Who's doing it? <laughs> I thought that was going to be really serious. I was like, oh, you... you... <laughs> totally just like cut through the the laughter and then I was like um who's I well yeah not me so um 
maybe I'll, I'll have to I'll have to have that changed for the paperback. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, just maybe, maybe. I read it and I was like, "Hang on!" I love <laughs> maybe do other people do this because it's not me. <laughs> I don't even iron my like get like for normal tops. <laughs> I'll find it for this, Bobby. I'll find it for this. I'll yes. give you that. <laughs> I love I love that we've come to this interview with edit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Bobby, get, here's what you need to change. Here's what... yeah. <laughs> no, the <laughs> in all seriousness, but actual seriousness. In all actual seriousness, theory. though, it is a really raw and beautiful portrayal of, of grief and of loss, you know, and it was summarized by these moments of reflection on like the mundanities of life. I guess. What drew you to focusing specifically on these smaller details of life, you know, in the context of his grief? So when I first started writing it, I I wasn't necessarily setting out to write a book about grief. I wanted to write a book about how men, uh, young men in the modern world sort of approach their emotions and, and, and suppress their emotions and specifically the way that they will make a joke out of everything, be very lighthearted, not talk to their friends about anything specifically, especially serious and also uh, almost burden their, you know, if they, if they have a life partner, sort of burden them with all of their emotional baggage, but but not really open up to anyone else. So um, it became this thing where, where Isaac has that relationship. What would happen if he lost, um, you know, the love of his life? Who would he turn to? And in this case, it's the egg. But I didn't want, because it, it's not autobiographical in, in its depiction of grief, I didn't want it to feel inauthentic. I really, it meant a lot to me that, you know, people would read it and it, it, it wouldn't feel feel like it was making light of grief because grief is you know the most serious thing out there so in that respect I made sure I read a lot of first person accounts of of the kind of grief that Isaac is going through um specifically memoirs specifically um some really good ones like Joan Didion uh, the year of magical thinking uh, a grief observed uh, a grief observed by CS Lewis and um one particularly illuminating one called say her name by Francisco Goldman and that that's um an account of I guess a, a similar situation to what Isaac goes through and that it's it's someone who loses their girlfriend in a uh, freak accident when when she's in her 20s and, and this really happened to the author and he he wrote this incredibly raw really really moving very hard to read memoir about it um and that really sort of opened my eyes to how I wanted to write about uh, grief in in this book because part of it is you know the way he talks about those day-to-day things I, I remember one specific section where he, he talks about feeling like he's got a bit better and then he opens her he opens like a scrub in the shower or you know a, a body butter type thing and he looks inside and her fingerprints are in it and it just destroys him you know like the, where she scooped it because it, you know it's like a it's like a fossil um so and you know there are these things that he, he talks about just falling over in the street just like falling over and being like I'm an adult and I never used to fall over but it, it, and and that inspired. There's a bit in the book where it, it, it sort of talks about Isaac almost losing his center of gravity and and feeling like a a coin with one side. So a lot of that a lot of that came from these these really powerful um, accounts of grief I was I was reading. Yeah, so I, I mean I'd, I'd I'd really recommend that book if if you can yeah. if you can manage it because it is a tough read. Uh, I think I, I read a, a review in the Guardian that, that called it sort of um, unbearably sad. I think was yeah. the words they used, and it is it is a tough one but it's it's um it's one of those books that you sort of go away from feeling quite changed i mean we've read a little life so i think we can handle anything I've, i haven't read a little <laughs> we, life we can oh, handle the grief. So, my, yeah. my current read actually is the year of magical thinking by 
Oh, it's oh, okay. I'm yeah, halfway yeah, yeah. through, and yeah, I mean, be in the right mindset before you go into it. But it is phenomenal. But phenomenal that that book. talks about a lot of the same sort of things. You know, it is the the day to day stuff of of you know losing losing mm. a loved one, especially someone that, that you live with that you spend every day with. Um, you know, there, there's um, there's the the really famous line that I think I that I think that there's there's something a bit like it in Isaac and the Egg as well, where she talks about not wanting to throw away her husband's shoes because what will he wear when he comes back which I thought was really really powerful the funny thing is I I don't read I don't really like reading really sad books and um I've never read a little life but I've read the Wikipedia synopsis <laughs> I know everyone loves it and I wanted to know what it was about but I was like I, I don't think I can no, hack it no. um if you don't like sad books that won't I, work no I approached Isaac and the Egg you know in the first case it was a comedy it was a straight up comedy and it was really only in writing it that I sort of I started to get to know Isaac and Mary and, and their life together and I, I was doing all this reading around it and I was very aware of the fact that if, if you start writing a book about grief you can't you can't half-arse it you can, you know you, you can't just it's not going to be a situation where he's there like um, my wife's died oh well let's go have all these funny japes with the egg you know and I, yeah. I didn't want Mary to be the you, you know the dead wife trope that you see in so many films yeah. where she's like in two flashbacks and in one of them she's just like laughing under a bed sheet <laughs> <laughs> and that the room's white. Yeah, Probably exactly. White. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the, I think the book just transformed into something I wasn't expecting it to be. And it, it got a lot deeper and a lot more serious. And it, it became more of an exploration of, of grief and of love, I think. Because I think that was, that was something that really struck me about reading all those memoirs is that none of them are books about death. They're books about their love for the person who is gone. And I think um, that's why even a book with, with such a sad, overbearing loss in it can actually be quite hopeful because it, you know, it, it, they're all testaments to to love. I think as well for me, what worked really well was the isolation of Isaac, mm. and particularly in the first half of the novel, where it it almost felt like we were in a submarine, you know, away from from everything, and it's just him and the egg in this little world that happens to be his house. How important was for you was it for you to get that isolation right, to get you know that feeling, that claustrophobia almost? Partly it was intentional, partly it was accidental. It, it, it was intentional in the way that I always thought of it as a one-man show, um, mm. that you you essentially have one character that you're very, very closely focused on and everything he's going through is is what you would experience while you were reading him because it, it, I wanted it to be an exploration of, of his psyche and and, and that type of, of person. And then you basically have these two characters, one of whom is um, a figment of his memory, Mary, and, and it's sort of just like the version of him that he, of her that he remembers. Uh, and then the other is is maybe a figment of his imagination. So really, when you when you take those two parts out, you've got one character. And I've always thought it would it would be best as as like a stage show with him, you know, Isaac, a puppet, and then just voices off off stage. I think that's how little the other characters sort of come into it. They're, they're vo- like tend to be voices on the other side of a locked front door. But it was also accidental in in the respect that um, I started writing it, and I think about a week or two after I started writing it, the first lockdown hit. So it became a book about isolation in a period of, of immense isolation and you know I was writing this book seven days a week um, as a freelance journalist who'd lost all of his freelance work so it, it was really all I had and you know we were we were in a situation where we couldn't leave the house so it, it became a weirdly helpful writing experience to embody the thoughts of a, of a, a man who's who's not got any contact with the outside world and who's sort of living in his dressing gown and, and losing his grip on reality <laughs> 
I love that. And he's dressed in gown, just sleeping his girlfriend reality. That's my boyfriend. That was me. (laughs) (laughs) So a line that that really struck me was Joe Kinn had always been Isaac's first line of defence. And I feel like that is something that lots of us do. And I think it's especially something that a lot of men do. Um, and, you know, the novel is filled with with puns and humour. Um, whilst it's exploring these topics of, of suicide, grief, mental health, um, and men's mental health still has such a huge stigma. Um, but was this something that you consciously developed in Isaac's character? You know, his using humour for avoidance of the issues at hand, I guess. It's definitely something I consciously developed when I had started writing the book but it wasn't something I sort of consciously approached because it was mm-hmm. just the way Isaac was and I think that's because it's it's the way I am and there's a lot of me in him um and you know a lot of uh, my friends are the same mo- a lot of young men I know and I think that idea you know you can be fairly emotionally intelligent you can be a, a fairly modern man but you still resort to those same because it, it, it's so ingrained and it, it, it's you know if you were raised even in the in the 90s or even the noughties the overwhelming message of media was still that men act in a certain way mm-hmm. um, don't cry don't uh, tell your friends you love them all these sorts of things and I think only now does that seem to be changing so for people like me it's still our our nature is is to act in that way to make light of everything and and if if we're meeting up with our mates at the pub to i think there's a bit a bit in the book where it says what they talk about at the pub is uh, who would win in a fight ducks <laughs> i think it's like a duck sized bear or 20 bear sized ducks or yeah. yes i love that um, uh, and that's I the sort of, you know that's the sort of thing that that we talk about um and i, I so it was <laughs> it was in that respect it, when i realized that isaac would be that type of guy it, it became um an intentional exploration of how do you how do you open up if your nature isn't opening up um, and I think it's quite telling that the only thing he feels able to open up to in the first case is uh, this sort of two foot tall alien he finds <laughs> in the woods because he can't just text his friends and say I'm not doing <laughs> I did a book club the other day where um, they, they'd read the book and they were sort of talking about it and someone in that book club made a really interesting point that I actually hadn't really thought of and they were like they, they said what, what they liked about going inside Isaac's head is that those people you know who do make a joke out of everything you never actually see see how they cope with something they can't make a joke out of because yeah. when you see them they're making a joke out of it you never mm-hmm. see behind that facade so I, I think yeah. that was that was a nice way of summing up what I was trying to do with Isaac which is that you would see inside this head of someone who on the outside is always trying to tell everyone he's fine um, yeah. but on the inside is, is falling to pieces and that actor just immediately came to mind what's his name I can't think of his name yeah. Mrs. Doubtfire Robin oh Robin Williams yeah, yeah. Robin Williams yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know that's what everybody said you know when he died that you know it is always the person that's cracking the jokes and yeah. that's you know making light of everything the that's actually you don't check on it yeah exactly yeah the one that you think's doing okay is actually not mm. yeah i think that for me like our bookends will know this but i lost my mother last year and my grief journey has been um bonkers um because <laughs> it's, it's been a journey it's been a journey let's tell you that put a one act factor on it like the camera right <laughs> terrible but i have had to just say to you how grateful I am to you having written something so relatable and honest and and I want to sort of embarrass you now by just reading a little bit that I felt like really spoke to me and and summed up grief 
brief in a really, really inventive and, and wonderfully honest way. So guys, I've got a quote. Sit down, get your brew out. It's going to be a while. This is Isaac talking to um, a therapist. He isn't telling Dr. Abbas about the times he wakes himself up in the middle of the night screaming Mary's name. He isn't telling her that he smells her perfume or hears her voice just around the corner of every doorway and how this frightens him more than it comforts him. He isn't telling her that he still calls Mary's phone just to hear her voicemail, that her sing-song voice still says, we both know I'll forget to call you back, that Isaac still sobs and sobs after the tone. He isn't telling her about the panic attacks, the fainting fit, those first three weeks where he found himself waking up on the funeral director's carpet. He isn't telling her about the screaming, the materialising out of nowhere, the times he found himself half-dressed and terrified and in tears in supermarkets and car parks and sterile waiting rooms. He isn't telling her where he goes, where he stays, how guilty he feels when he finally returns and finds the egg waiting for him, blinking judgmentally from the hallway floor. And oh yes, he isn't telling her about the egg. He isn't telling anyone about the egg. For me, having experienced grief quite recently, that not telling people what you are doing to feel that grief is so natural Mm. to you. When you're going through something mm-hmm. it's so easy to not tell people stuff and not admit that you know what I I um like one of my experiences was I made some chopped tomatoes and spaghetti yeah. which is something that my mom used to make all of the time and I was like I'm starving do this really quick and the smell of it made me collapse on the floor and just sit and cry for like half an hour I mean, he ate the pasta. I'm not wasteful. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, this kind of, that how these things knock you for six, like the, you know, the knife in the butter and the, you know, her plate and the fact that he, the meal that he was making for is staying the same. Like all of these things were so accurate. Mm. And so it's not really a question, to be honest. It's just me waxing lyrical about how much I thought it was, just a wonderful piece of work and thank you for writing it means it honestly it means so much to hear it though because like uh, writing about a topic like this it's it's a it's a really it's a really difficult thing to write about especially when you're writing about a type of grief that you haven't been through you you don't want to feel like a fraud and you don't want people to pick it up and go that's not my experience of it and you know there will be people who pick it up and go that's not my experience of it but the best the nicest things i've i've heard about the book are people who've who've been through that sort of grief and have said it helped or, or or at the very least you know i i felt seen mm. by it i think it's just i think what what people hopefully connect with is 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 the chaos of it it's not yeah. i start when i first started writing it egg was a simpler metaphor and was essentially he was the you know the five stages of grief so he mm. in the scene where they trashed the kitchen which was always there he was anger and then you know he was denial when they were going out and had having fun and and then as it evolved it became I, I had to try and put myself in in Isaac's place and and think what how would I react if I you know I'm, I'm married I, it, how would I react if I if I lost my wife and it was all those little things you were you were just talking about the the, the little pieces of a of a life that you build together and then when it's all gone out the window what do you do and and he's yeah. just in this everything's destroyed you know yeah. and and, he, and he's picking up the pieces but the pieces don't fit back together so it's just this crazy chaotic thing and then the question that comes at the end is essentially you know like if he can't build back the the life he had before but maybe he can build something else so he can at least keep going and i i think that was that was important to me because it 
was important that you wouldn't you wouldn't feel hopeless when you you finished reading it. It was important yeah. that as much as it's a story that can be really sad, you'd ultimately feel like there's a there's a hopeful reason for existing. I think. Yeah, I think as well. The thing that um probably got me choked up the most was um choked up you. <laughs> I, if it moved, uh, if it moved, it heart like a swinging brick. This one. <laughs> I feel honoured. <laughs> you should get away. Um, <laughs> is the the unfinished book the oh. fact that she would never finish the book and it, it killed me because <laughs> I was like no like I feel like that would be that would be my boyfriend what he would find mm-hmm. is all my books everywhere because <laughs> I've got far too many books <laughs> But an unread book, I think, would be the thing that would, like, finish Billy off. Um, so, obviously, uh, you've mentioned your wife, and you are recently married, aren't you? So, congratulations. Thank you. Was it in New York? It was in Italy. Oh, where did I get Close New enough. York from? I don't know, but you sound like a bit like a stalker. <laughs> Were you there? <laughs> I just thought it was an exciting, you know, exciting I you wedding. I hope you didn't turn up in New York trying to guess it. <laughs> I'm sure this is where they said it was. <laughs> I don't know where I've got New York from. Sorry. <laughs> um, so I would love to talk about your writing process. And this mm. does link in with your wife. I'm not just totally changing topic. I was going to say, I'm confused. <laughs> um, but I obviously especially loved the writing of Isaac and, and Mary um, and their relationship. And, you know, it's many nuances, flaws, uh, eccentricities, I guess. Mm-hmm. But how much do you include of yourself and your own relationships in your writing? writing or do you try to kind of separate separate the two I guess in this book all of it uh which is a really <laughs> really weird thing to say because it's it's uh, a story about bereavement um mm. but I I wanted Isaac and Mary to feel totally real and yeah. um people have said they do which is really nice yeah. and, and and I think they feel real because they they kind of are real because there's so much of of me and uh, Nina in there even down to you know you talked about the pajama tops earlier and there's a there's a running joke that she has these pajama tops that are like I love New York yeah. I love goats. <laughs> I love my bed and Nina has all of those you know like <laughs> the, the, the first did you tell from... her before she read this I did yeah she knew what the book was about so I think I, I think it was a weird reading experience for her obviously um especially <laughs> probably because because there's so much of us in it but then you know what what she said was that it felt it was really nice because it it felt like as like one of those other books I was talking about a sort of an admission a testament of of love and and you know her words where it's not the sort of stuff that I necessarily say out loud um which is you know going back to to how how men approach things so it was it was maybe almost a a confessional piece of writing saying you know like (laughs) I can't say this out loud but I love you loads Um, but yeah even the there's like a text conversation Isaac scrolls back through text to their like one of their first conversations and there's one that's like about her having a heated blanket and him yeah. taking the piss out of her saying she's an old woman that is literally like our first text conversation I, 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 I just copied it verbatim from the script oh I love that uh, so yeah no it, it's it's a it was weird I think and it and it definitely feels weird to talk about in that respect and it was weird for for friends and family reading it mm. being like does he want to kill her but um <laughs> but I think it it you know came from a genuine place and I think mm. the book benefited from it I hope but I mean Nina's my first editor <laughs> of anything so she you know she very much read it in the first case and was like yeah okay it, it, it's it's got my approval 
I love that. Well, as long as it's got a stamp of approval, well, it's okay. Yes. <laughs> I was just going to publish it and her, her pick it up off a bookshop and then go, wait a second. Is this me? And, it, they, you know, they did feel so real and, you know, his his grief was so, like, visceral. So I think you definitely yeah. kind of, you know, felt felt that in there. Like, you'd obviously, you know, really put yourself... I mean, was that difficult to put yourself through that? It, through it was. It, it was, a you know, I, I, I hate it when people say, like, I had to go to quite a dark place for this. <laughs> <laughs> but, like a method actor. but um it was you know it was written during covid which wasn't a very nice time i think it sort of uh stretched all of us a bit and yeah. it was oh, it was a really emotional writing process because you know i i did have to go to quite a dark place for it. I, I had to at least do this very horrible what if you know how would right. i act in this situation and um it was it was emotional it was quite cathartic as well and you know i i remember writing the last page and um crying mm. <laughs> and that's the second time i've mentioned crying here so so i am a man who cries i i remember finishing the last page and crying and then like going through to the other room when Nina was and being like i've just finished the last page i just cried and she was like you are so pretentious <laughs> It's just so good. (laughs) (laughs) I'm crying at my own genius. Well, I'm sure that you're not the only person that's going to be crying at the last page. No, I think it's more normal when it's when it's the readers, not the author. I'm glad <laughs> I, you know, but we have for it. We don't. I at least don't cry when I'm like talking. I'm not sitting here being like, oh, you know, that's. <laughs> and then I wrote this bit, and it was. Yeah. So... <laughs> we won't blame you. No. Blame you, uh, you said before, and Lydia has a question, and she's going to be annoyed at me. But she always interrupt me. I'm, I'm just sorry, saying. but I need to know because it's just coming to my head, and I can't interrupt the flow of my brain i'm sorry um you said before about um about the idea of a stage play and isaac and a puppet and i don't know if this was just an idea um but i know obviously as an actor i know there's a lot of male actors that would absolutely leap at the chance of this role um are there any uh plans in the pipeline for adaptations are you not i can't talk about that (gasps) (laughs) well you know Early days, but hope obviously I you know, you can tell from the book how much I love films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I, I almost wrote it like a film, but yeah. I, yeah. I you know, I've never tried writing a screenplay, so I uh, writing a yeah. book just felt like the natural thing to me. But I think it it would naturally work on the screen. I think mm. the nice thing about it is Isaac is a very vague character in a lot of ways. You don't really yeah. know what he looks like. You just you know, basically anyone could play him. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I like to think it's I like to think it'd be a bit of a gift of a role because you'd get to Absolutely. you know be the only actor playing against a a comedy puppet, but then <laughs> yeah. acting really serious. It'd be a good challenge. I would yeah. I I I'd love it to happen. Sounds but great. until until that point I'd highly recommend people pick up the audiobook. You can't pick up an audiobook. Listen to the audio. <laughs> Uh, which is done by Johnny Flynn, who is a, a fantastic actor. And Amazing. he basically does the one-man show with it. And, wow. and you know, he does the voice of the egg. He does the the doorbell. He, you know, he is everything in it. So it's like yeah. a really it's like a real piece of audio drama. And it's um, you know, far be it from me to say it's better than the, the printed book, but I'd I Oh I'm I'd, absolutely I'm oh, yes. I, I need to listen to this now. Yeah. I'm so excited. And you know, if there's a film, you know two actors now. Oh, what, oh, what who are we gonna play? The uh, egg? No, Isaac, Mary, Joy. <laughs> okay, okay. Although, you know what? I could do the egg. <laughs> 
Johnny, yeah. Flynn, Johnny Flynn as Isaac and you as the egg. And me as the egg. That's I it. would pay to see that. I'd pay good Legit money. As the egg. <laughs> just, I can see it on a poster. I've visualised it, manifesting it now. Don't laugh at me. Don't laugh at my dreams. I'm never going to let you live that down. <laughs> so what we like to end on and wrap up on is, um, again, one of my favourite questions. I, I like to probe people about things. I would like to know, what is your favourite author or what authors inspire you or your work? This, me, anything. But yeah, what, who's your favourite? Who am I writing down in my notepad? Asking who your favorite child is. Hmm. Uh, the really, the really pretentious answer is Virginia Woolf. <laughs> oh, oh I, no, the really She's pretentious been a hit, one Woolf. would have been myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just inspire myself. Me and Virginia Woolf. Say, you know, if you're talking about inspirational authors, me and Virginia. Woolf. Uh, no, I, I mean Mrs. Dalloway by Virginia Woolf is is like my favorite book of all time, and I always go back to it because I just that's just what I think the the perfect book is um and it's currently sat on my shelf on red so yeah. that needs to change it's, right it's, now it's, yeah it's, it's you know it's a great book and it's one that really sort of opened up my my eyes to what what books could do i read it at university and up until that point i thought reading was like frankenstein and les miserables yeah. and that stuff. so yeah that that you know she she is is my go-to um i also i really like i think a few authors i've mentioned actually george saunders is a is a mm-hmm. huge uh inspiration of mine I really really like what he does he writes really weird stuff that also <laughs> it's very funny but it's very you know he, he, I mean he won that I think he won the book a prize for Lincoln in the Bardo which is yeah. a crazy book but but it just works <laughs> because he's so good at what he does and in terms of authors I I'm sort of enjoying at the moment I really like Sayaka Murata I read Earthlings recently which is, yeah, is amazing. um I, I like that sort of weird weird fiction type stuff so yeah Max really? Porter Never care. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, um, and uh, George Saunders, uh, speaking of, wrote a book called A Swim in the Pond in the Rain, which is like a book on writing, but it's him dissecting Russian short stories. And I read that a couple of years ago, and I was just like, no one, I'd never read anyone writing about writing better than that. So if there are sort of aspiring writers listening, I would, that is like the book I would read because it, he's just, yeah. He's great. He feels like you're sort of your your father and your best friend and your mentor at the same time. <laughs> also, that is an incredible title. I know. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. So yeah. good. <laughs> so before we let you go, we do like to always ask um, if there's anything that you've been enjoying recently. Have you got any cultural recommendations for us? I do. The Bear, which is <laughs> yes, a TV so show. Stuff. I think over here it's on Disney+. Plus. I don't know why I said over here like I, I'm ever anywhere but the UK. <laughs> I think it's like it's like an FX show in, in the US. When, when I was getting married in New York, <laughs> um, no, it's it's uh, it's on Disney Plus, and it is about a chef, a sort of young chef who returns to his family, his brother's restaurant, uh, like a sort of greasy um, sandwich restaurant in Chicago, to take it over after his brother dies. And it it starts. You think it's going to be like kitchen confidential, like loads yeah, of. Yeah. Of sort of amped up testosterone fueled chefs in the kitchen, loads of stress, and it does have that. But it's really, really, it's a really tender depiction of men's mental health. It's 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 a, a properly amazing show about you know masculinity, but also about about the like high pressure jobs and and sort of the spirit of of a city like Chicago. It, it, it's it's like one of the best TV shows I think I've ever seen. Wow. Um, 
And it's definitely got one of the best TV episodes I've ever seen, which is all shot in one take and is 20 minutes long and I think is the most stressed I've ever been watching anything <laughs> like it, it was like a really stressful experience it's just set over like one bad patch in the kitchen for 20 minutes and you are just all in um, and I was so stressed watching it and then last I think I watched it for the first time a couple of weeks ago and then I watched it again this <laughs> wow. week which either is, is punishing is like yourself a, yeah either a form <laughs> of self-punishment or or just a sign that it's it's a really good show because I never I never really watched stuff especially like that soon afterwards so um that that is my very very firm and enthusiastic cultural recommendation i am absolutely gonna watch that that is a bit of me you know what it sounds reminiscent of have you watched um boiling point Point with steve graham no but it's it's very much it's something i really do want to watch there's also that film that bradley cooper did a few years ago called burnt which is like it's like a sort of really if if the the bear's like that but a lot less cheesy yeah (laughs) yeah it's gonna be a little bit cheesy now that film's like, uh, you know, I, I've been a bad boy in the chefing industry and now I have to go and chuck a thousand oysters to pay penance yeah. for what I've done. It's, yeah. It's a lot of like waving the knife about and shouting. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of like what, really Hollywood thinks, what Hollywood thinks people in kitchens. Yeah. 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 Whereas Boiling Point is the opposite. It's yeah. very realistic or, and it, it is shot, you know, to look like one take. Yes. Continuous yeah. night in the kitchen. And I mean, you loved it as a, a former waitress, didn't oh, you? Like, God. Um, yeah. I worked in reality. Like, for 10 years and you know the best and worst period of my life to be honest like it is it is hell (laughs) I've done the sort of restaurant job where you're the waiter and things aren't going well in the kitchen and you're sort of trying to wrestle your way out of the kitchen door while all the complaining customers yeah Yeah, (laughs) I I, I, I've sat down with the intention of watching Boiling Point several times and heard it so stressful that I've been like, oh, I just want to watch, you know, I'll watch a Do Revenge instead or something. It is quite stressful, but this is the sign for you to go and watch it. Okay, yeah. okay, deal. <laughs> and we will watch The Bear and you'll, we'll get, watch, yeah. you'll get DMs. Okay. We'll meet up, like, yeah, we'll oh meet God, up. Oh my God, it's so good. <laughs> we'll do another we'll episode. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. A couple of weeks where we just discuss those two things. The Bear and Boiling Point, love <laughs> yeah. that, yeah. <laughs> um, so, unfortunately, we have to let you go now and we're really sad about that because this has been so great and listeners Isaac in the Egg is available in all bookshops we will pop a link in the show notes uh, to buy the book um, if you haven't already read it and you've not listened I to mean, this what are you doing come on like it's it's amazing and we really really loved your book um, we're not just saying that because we wanted you on the podcast we genuinely <laughs> loved it <laughs> thank you sorry do you have anything coming up that our listeners um could support you with apart from buying your book anything to be honest I'm, I'm in that sort of mercifully quiet period after the books mm-hmm. come out I've, yeah. I've done my event and when the paperback comes out which I think will be next spring. Keep an eye out for events. Yes. But until then, buy the book for all your relatives at Christmas. Buy the bloody book and <laughs> listen to the audio book because it sounds amazing. Yes. Also, yes. also, if you have not, if you don't know what the cover looks like, please go Google it now because the cover of this book is just phenomenal. Is there a, a special edition of the book? Who's it with? I think it's sold out. It was... It no. was- <gasps> It was with Goldsboro, um, but they only printed uh, 250 copies, and I think they went they went quite quickly. My father-in-law didn't get one in time. Oh, no, oh. he was really annoyed about it. I was going to say since we know you, but now, well, that's rude. It's the father-in-law. <laughs> I got, well, they were numbered. They were 250 numbered, and they gave me number one, which I was very oh, wow, wow. <laughs> but yes, the the cover is beautiful. Yeah, it is beautiful, and also um, touch the egg because the egg. Is oh, the egg on the spine. The egg on the spine. Yes. 
Just the detail, guys, the detail. I know us book nerds will appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, so please do rate, review and subscribe to our podcast um, as it helps to boost us in the charts. Please do uh, go give Bobby a follow. Is it at Bobby Palmer? It, it, this is so pretentious. It's at the Bob Palmer. <laughs> I chose that handle when I was 14. And, <laughs> and I wasn't a the then. Like, I, you know, I had no, I, I, you know, I think 30 the. people followed me. But, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm worried. I'm working at being worthy of it. Okay. So we, well, I mean, the definite gonna know that it's you, so that's that's amazing. Yeah. So uh, we will also include a link to that in the show notes. Thank you so much, uh, Bobby, once again. This has been amazing. Um, <laughs>